Welcome. Happy Palm Sunday. So glad you've tuned in. If this is your first time, we want to say a special welcome to you and say thanks for checking us out. And you could do us a favor by uh, clicking on the digital connection card up here in the corner or leaving a comment here in the chat window, just how we might pray for you. And then also, if there's a question you might have, we certainly would invite you to uh, leave that there. But again, we're grateful that you've checked in. And if this is your spiritual home, we say welcome to you, and we're glad, too, that you have joined us. And again, we would invite you to either leave a comment here in the chat window or use the digital connection card up above to let us know a prayer request you might have or something else we might need to know to be of service. But together, as we come on this Palm Sunday, it's the beginning of uh, the week of Holy Week. And as we lean into all that this means for us as followers of Jesus, I want to point one thing out to you today. Our friend Matt Skolnick, the General Presbyter for Muskingum Valley, is currently in the Ukraine. And Matt is uh, broadcasting from there, if you will. He's already posted a couple of videos on his podcast and would invite you to take a look at those at your leisure. Hello everybody, it is Matt. I am in the beautiful city of Lviv, which is in western Ukraine. Um, Lviv has about a million people who live here, but the population has grown uh, since the war began. Yesterday was a beautiful sunny day. Today you'll see we have a little bit of rain, but the reason that I'm sharing this brief video with you is I want you to know that I'm headed off to a very exciting interview, and I will share that interview with you once I get it edited, we'll put it out, and please stay tuned. Thanks so much, and God bless. There's a link here in the worship notes, and I think you'll find it encouraging just to get a perspective from our friend Matt in a time that still is so uncertain for those people that live there in the Ukraine, but also to be encouraged about what God is doing in the church there. As we begin our time together, we will begin first with a uh, some reflections from a woman who was there and what she saw on that first Palm Sunday. And then we'll have the message, and after the message, we'll conclude with a time of worship through a couple songs that, that I pray will encourage you. So let's begin first with a time of prayer. Lord Jesus, as we enter Holy Week, we do give you praise. We praise you for who you are and how you courageously faced incredible opposition and hardships. But you always overcame and you overcame with self-giving love. Jesus, we are grateful that you are the Son of God, that you are our Messiah, that you are the Savior of the world. And we thank you for that this morning, and we pray it in your strong name. Amen. I was there that day. There were so many people there, but it wasn't that. Jerusalem, what a city it is for people and crowds. And it wasn't even the procession, the parade. These last two years, there have been so many parades, trails of stumbling, lisping, broken, drooling people, rolled, pushed, carried, slung, hoisted to him, Yeshua. No one would dare to believe in healing, except it was happening to everyone, even the sorriest among them. Everyone became like newborn, legs straightened and muscles strung right. 
Women who were mute, now they are singing and adding a little dance too. And crippled men are running and leaping. So, yes, we've been watching these parades for many months now. But this time, they finally saw who he was. Everyone ran to pull down branches from the trees, which means victory, triumph. When was the last time we were victors of anything? And we all took off our cloaks, our outer robes, and just laid them at his feet and at the feet of the donkey he was riding. We knew what we were doing because, finally, we all saw it. He was the king. He was the one we've been waiting for since, since we were a people. And the singing, everyone was happy. We are not, we have not been happy people. But this day, Hosanna, Hosanna. Children singing and old men, my grandpa, the young mothers, everyone, cheering, laughing, shouting, Hosanna. And you know what Hosanna means, yes? It means, please save us, save us. Finally, a king to lead us, to lead our people. We can be a nation again, not servants and slaves to the Romans. And we said, we turned to one another, all my friends, my neighbors, my cousins. We were all standing and shouting together. And we said, we will follow him anywhere, even into battle. But we didn't. We could not guess what would happen next. And if we had, no one would have been there that day. But I saw it. How those same people, not all of them, but some of them, my neighbors, my relatives, my uncle and cousins, they were there just days later. How many days? They were shouting again, just yelling this time, not singing and not waving palm branches, but waving their fists and shouting, crucify him. How did this happen? From, oh, save us our king, our king, to crucify him, blasphemer. How? But maybe I know. They wanted a king, a man king, who acted like a god. They didn't want a king who was God. They never really wanted God at all. I wonder how many of us want God to enter our world and become king over our lives. We think foolishly that we will give up too much. But here is what I know now. That day of singing and celebration 
and triumph was true. And real, more real and more true than anybody ever knew. Hosanna! Praise to the king! Oh, save us! We shouted. And then, very quietly, through lashes and fists and nails, he did. So this woman who was there and the words that she expressed, I hope that gives you just a small picture in a sense of what that day must have been like. Now, we know that for us, Palm Sunday, it marks the beginning of what we call this Holy Week. It's this final week of Lent. It's the day on which we commemorate Jesus' courageous entrance into Jerusalem. And as that week begins, not too long after this, he's arrested and he's convicted. He's crucified, and more importantly, he's resurrected. Now, from all the way the world looks at these things, Jesus is about to have a week of just one failure after another. And it's in these sufferings that we see the contrast between God's nature of love and man's sinful nature of control and domination. We have Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Not too long after arriving, he washes his disciples' feet. And then, not too long after that, a close friend betrays him, and he's spat upon, and he's abandoned, and beaten, and whipped, and tried, and convicted of being king of the Jews, which he is. That's exactly who he was. And then finally, he is crucified, dead, and buried. These events contrast God's holiness with, again, humanity's sinfulness. But what we see here, because when something's put under force and trauma— we find out what it's made of, right? In a simple way, what do you get when you squeeze a lemon? Lemon juice. Or what do you get when you squeeze an orange? Orange juice. But what happens when the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, rides into town on a donkey and stoops to wash his disciples' feet, is betrayed by a trusted friend, is spat upon, is abandoned, beaten, whipped, tried, convicted, and crucified, dead, and buried? What do we get when that happens? We get a crystal clear picture of God's nature of self-giving love. Now we know too, right, that Jesus endured the cross and the events that led up to it in order to save us from our sins, to save humanity, to bring about restoration of all that God had created. And there was no other alternative. And in doing so, Jesus demonstrated that he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, who came into the world to save the world, not condemn it. So today we're going to focus on his courageous entrance into Jerusalem. So let's go to the scriptures to hear this story once again. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. 
A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. That's Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. So to give you the big idea here today, this story begins with Jesus approaching Jerusalem. And before he enters, he sends two of his disciples into the village to return with a donkey and her colt. The disciples do what they're told. They return with the donkey, and Jesus rides slowly into town. Now, the the scriptures tell us this, that this was done to fulfill a prophecy that appeared in the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament, who envisioned the Messiah would come, gentle and riding on a donkey. So three ideas I want to lay out today of understanding what it means to have this courageous king of Jesus. First, Jesus has all authority. And there's a couple things going on here that we need to see that are really important. First, riding a donkey signified peace. So riding into Jerusalem on a donkey is a highly intentional move by Jesus. He's making a very clear statement here. In the ancient world, if a king rode into town on a horse, he intended to say very clearly that he was there to be the aggressor and to bring war. But if he rode into town on a donkey, he was communicating that he wanted to have peace. And so Jesus rides into town on a donkey to say as clearly as he can that he is king and that his kingship will be one of peace. And then it's interesting to look here at this Old Testament passage from Zechariah, which continues, I will take the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea. That's Zechariah chapter 9, verse 10. So what we have here is a messianic prophecy that Jesus is fulfilling. He is the anointed one. He's the Messiah, the king coming into town, proclaiming peace instead of conflict. He wants to say as clearly as he can that the war is over, that there will be no more violence. I'm pretty sure the disciples nor the crowd fully understood what Jesus was doing right before their eyes. In fact, the Gospel of John says to us, at first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. It comes from John chapter 12, verse 16. So the second point here that takes place is that Jesus proclaims himself as king. Jesus is proclaiming himself to be the king, and this is no small thing. The crowds declared Jesus to be the prophet from Nazareth, Matthew says in verse 11 of chapter 21. But that's not what Jesus claimed for himself. He was more than a moral teacher and more than a prophet. He was and is King and Messiah. Now we know that Jesus, during his life and ministry, he consistently demonstrated true authority. Jesus had, and he still has, all authority over nature and over demons and over sickness and over death. And we know that he spoke with authority. And he was not like someone who memorized all the right answers. And we know he protected people from storms and waves. And, and we know that he healed men from their blindness. And we know that he also healed others of their leprosy and of fevers, the scriptures tell us. And then he set them free from evil spirits. 
cast out the demons, and he did much more. We know that as Jesus spoke with authority, he cast out demons, that fevers disappeared, and even paralysis went away because he had authority over all of that. In fact, even nature had to obey him because nature is under his authority. The devil and the demons, they had to obey him because they also were under his authority. And the same was with sickness and with disease. They are all fully under his authority. Just as God spoke the cosmos into existence, in the book of Genesis, everything under Jesus' authority must comply with whatever he speaks because he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. For the early Christians, they understood this in a very simple way, and their creed was, Jesus is Lord. That word Lord meant with absolute authority, and it was not a fancy way of saying Mr., like in Mr. Jesus. What they confessed when they said the words, Jesus is Lord, they were proclaiming as clearly as they could his complete authority over everything in this world. Nature, sickness, demons, death, and even themselves. But this proclamation, this creed that they stated, this proclamation got them killed also, by the way, because only Caesar was Lord in that time. And so the Christians, when they proclaimed this truth, Jesus is Lord, that was punishable as a capital crime, as treason. And what's interesting is Jesus doesn't turn back when he, he confronts the severe weather or the demons and the sickness. He was loving and welcoming and direct with people. This is the Jesus who ate with tax collectors, and he was the one who sat with sinners, and he let sinful women uh, wet his feet with their tears, and he touched the untouchable, those that had leprosy. He loved those who were oppressed, and he even loved their oppressors. Why? Well, we all know John chapter 3, verse 16, right? For God so loved the world. But it's the next two verses that follow that that we sometimes miss out on. Because John says to us, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. That's John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. So we need to see that Jesus, as he was king and Lord of lords, he used this authority that he had to save and to heal and to make people whole, to restore what was set wrong by, by sin. And yet what's interesting, too, is that he never used it for selfish purposes or for any kind of gratuitous display of power. Jesus used his authority as humbly as a person could as a way to demonstrate God's self-sacrificing love that was consistent with the mission that God had sent his son on. Now, here's a question that we have to wrestle through. And this is where we're going from teaching to a little bit of meddling, if you will, that if Jesus has authority over nature and sickness and demons and death, does he have authority over you? Meaning, are you truly a disciple of his? And I don't mean have you accepted some creed about him, but do you trust in him as the Lord of your life? For my own story, as I think about Jesus' lordship in my life, I came to faith when I was a young man, a teenager, and have journeyed through this, this thing called life inconsistently and in my own brokenness and trying to be a faithful follower. 
I've struggled and ebbed and flowed in my faithful journey, but God continues to show up in reminding me and the things that he's called me to be a part of and to understand what it means to be his child, to be his son. So when we see this first idea that Jesus has authority, I know in my own life he has helped to shape as I've moved from one vocation to the next to the next and finally here now as a pastor in a season of what I think can actually be argued is a great change within the local church, great change within the global church even about how we think about faith and how we think about the impact of what Jesus' teachings mean in our communities as we love our neighbor as ourselves. So if we begin with the fact that Jesus has authority and the impact that it has on our lives, then we need to see the second point that Jesus is courageous. So as we look at Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem, it's something that had been intentionally planned out. It wasn't just on a whim. Before Jesus even gets to town, he needs a donkey, so he sends the disciples ahead to fetch the ones that he had in mind. And he gave them instructions that if anyone questioned why they wanted the donkeys, they would simply say, the Lord needs them. It's interesting in Mark's gospel in the accounting of this, it says that the village was Bethany, where Jesus recently had just raised Lazarus from the dead. We can see that in John chapter 11, if you'd like to look at it. But no doubt Jesus knew a lot of people in this city, in this uh, town called Bethany, and that the code word of the Lord needs them was established in advance, if you will, with somebody. Jesus had been planning this entrance for a while. And as it always is, God's timing is perfect. Jesus knew that Jerusalem would be crowded with pilgrims for the celebration of Passover. The law required all adult Jewish males who lived within 20 miles of Jerusalem to come to the Passover celebration. And not only they came, but Jews from all over the known world traveled to Jerusalem for this festival of the Passover. Jerusalem would be jam-packed with tens of thousands of expectant visitors focused on the Passover and its celebration. This was a time for Jesus to make a statement for all to see. Now we know that the backstory, there was a plot even then of how they could kill Jesus. They did, the religious leaders of the day just didn't like all that he was creating controversy around in their mind, how he was challenging them. And so the most dangerous way Jesus could enter the city was in broad daylight with a lot of attention and a lot of noise from the thousands of spectators that were there. And you know what? That's exactly what he did. And what's amazing here is that Jesus courageously made himself the sacrificial lamb by entering the city. He knew that those who hated him and wanted him dead would be triggered. But his actions and decisions were based on doing God's will rather than how the men in power would react. Jesus was courageous, and he calls us to follow him in that same kind of courageous nature. Now, when we think about that, and we think about this sense of courage that Jesus had, so I ask the question, do, is there a lack of courage in our lives, in your life and in mine? And if we could map it out on a scale of 1 to 10 and ask the question, how courageous are you, how would you answer? Well, let me just ask a few questions along that lines. To know if you're courageous enough that you'll do the right thing regardless of the consequences. Or you will feel fear, but you're going to do, go ahead and do what needs to be done anyway. Or that you will not stop at failure. 
that you will demonstrate courage by leaning into those things that uh, may, you may fail at. Or you show courage by risking to be criticized. Or you show courage by pursuing purpose over comfort. I think for Jesus and this whole list here, he was courageous in each of those ways. And so to be courageous as we follow him is to be a Christian, to be a little Jesus. Too many of us are stopped by our fears, and we want to avoid failure. We want to be successful, and we want to avoid criticism. And sometimes we are stuck in comfortable lives that have little meaning and purpose. And that's part of why leaning into this last series we did on Draw the Circle to engage our minds and our hearts in the attitude of prayer in a whole different way. And so, again, I hope as you've been with us on this journey talking about the circle maker, would be interested to hear what you've learned and what you've engaged in and how you've seen God show up. Even last week as we uh, leaned into here in the building, uh, Carolyn uh, shared that she needed a car two weeks ago, that she found out that the car she was driving, that there was an issue with it. And what was beautiful is we prayed for that, specifically that God would provide. And within two days, she had a car. Now, there was some things around getting the car because she happened to buy a Kia. And if you're following any of the conversation right now about Kia uh, automobiles, that they have a propensity to be easily stolen. So she had an issue with trying to get uh, insurance coverage. But just by praying and leaning in, uh, her insurance agent, after a day of good work, was able to provide that for her. And just the blessing of seeing how God showed up in that need for her specifically. And so when we risked to, to bring those kinds of needs together before the community and before the throne of grace as we pray for God to show up, amazing things can happen. And when we think about what God invites us to be a part of as followers of Jesus, the impact that we can make in each of our communities when we risk to pray for God to show up in our circumstances and allow us to learn from him his love and his grace that he wants to give to us in those moments. Now, we talk about the fact that Jesus has authority, and we talk about the fact that he demonstrates courage, that he is courageous. And then there's this question, as a third understanding, is of who do we say that Jesus is? And it's interesting, as we look at the story from the first Palm Sunday, the scriptures tell us again, the very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And as Jesus entered, this was a reception that was reserved only for a king. Jesus, although had no intention of taking political power like most kings, Jesus truthfully was only interested in becoming the king in the hearts of each and every person, for that's what his kingdom was about. It's not of this world. It's about something else, something larger, something more purposeful. So what we hear from this story, as shared with us from the scriptures, that those that were there as Jesus rode the donkey in, they shouted, Hosanna, which means save now. And that comes to us from the book of Psalms, Psalm 118. It says, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will praise you, the psalmist says. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. That's Psalm 118, 
verses 25 through 29. So that's exactly what Jesus came to do. Now, we need to remember too, as we read earlier, that he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but he came to rescue us, to save us. John chapter 3, verse 17. Now, what's also true here as we continue to read is that it says that when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? Well, there must have been tens of thousands of visitors in the city for that Passover celebration, and they had to be exposed to Jesus. So this is why so many were asking who he was, trying to figure out why this man was coming into town on a donkey. And what's interesting is the crowds answered in reply as the question was asked. They said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. That's chapter 21, verse 11 of Matthew. Now, the reality is the, the crowds called Jesus a prophet because they didn't quite fully yet understand who he was. Now, those who were closest to Jesus, those who spent time with him, who listened to him and engaged with him and who learned to obey him, knew exactly who he was. He wasn't a prophet or just a great moral teacher. He was much more. He was not an earthly king, although that's what many thought he would be in the first coming of the Messiah. In fact, he was way beyond even an earthly king. Uh, those who knew him called him the Messiah, the Son of God, who came into the world to save it, not condemn it. In fact, Martha, Jesus' friend in John chapter 11, verse 27, says, You are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Or Peter says in Matthew 16, 16, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Or the entire town of Sychar says, We know that this man really is the Savior of the world, after he had spent two days with them. And that was in John chapter 4, verse 42. So part of the question that we all have to wrestle through and our understanding is, who do we say? Who do you say? Who do I say Jesus is? And we can pose the question, is he a prophet? Or is he a moral teacher? Or fundamentally, is he your Lord? And is he your absolute authority? Now, it's interesting, C.S. Lewis, the great Christian apologetist, let us not say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Because here's where it gets complicated. In fact, he says, this is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great moral teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. So Lewis poses the question then, again for us to ponder, who is Jesus? Is he Lord of Lords and King of Kings? And in your own story, what does it matter to your life today? Let's pray. God, we're grateful that you sent Jesus, and we're grateful, Jesus, that as Lord of Lords and King of Kings, 
that once again as we celebrate on this Palm Sunday your triumphant entry into uh, Jerusalem. We know that it leads to a, a horrifying week, but we do know that it takes the horror of, of Good Friday to give us life. And so we are grateful for that. Pray as we celebrate again this week, as we're mindful of all you've done for us, that we not miss it and that we can lean into and be all that you have for us as your people. And we thank you in your most precious name. Amen. Hosanna, they said, as Jesus rode that donkey into Jerusalem. Not knowing what the next week was going to bring, a week of what would to some appear as failure, but the reality for us today is the victory that he accomplishes by going to the cross and then by dying and most importantly by the resurrection from the grave that takes place next Sunday. And we look forward to that. And to be reminded then that that means that we've been blessed to be a blessing to those around us. And so go forth and serve Christ in his name. Amen. Happy Palm Sunday. Have a great week.